Today's podcast is brought to you by Sony XM3's industry-leading noise-canceling headphones. Less noise, more creating. Guys, these headphones are absolutely incredible. I've been using them for about three years now since the XM2s. And these headphones are seriously a game changer. No matter where you go, you are in 100% complete control of your environment. You can transform them with the click of a button. Noise canceling on. Ah, I love it when she says that. Anywho, these headphones have 30 hours of battery life. The party never stops. Find your creative flow with the Sony XM3s. During the past few years, photographer Pi Arts has traveled to some of the most remote corners of our planet. From the deep jungles of West Papua to the far outskirts of Bolivia and from the tiniest mountain villages in the Himalayas to the beating heart of the Okavango Delta. Wherever he goes, Pi uses his camera to capture the unfiltered reality of everyday life, highlighting the simple, imperfect, and mysterious nature of being human. Tales from the Roads, Less Travel takes you along with Pi and his girlfriend Jessica on a journey looking for real stories about real people. Presenting the world as it is, in its purest form, with Pi's unique view on people, wildlife, and nature, Tales from the Road, Less Traveled evokes a sense of belonging in every inhabitant of this earth. Providing a new view on this beautiful planet, as well as unique and undiscovered roots, Providing a new view on his on this beautiful planet, as well as unique and undiscovered routes past the hidden treasures it has to offer. Pi, my dude. Hey, man. Welcome back <laughs> to the show for the second time. What's up, baby? It's a pleasure, man. You should work for the radio. Bro, I, I'm one of these days I'm going to give up this gig and I'm going to go get me a good old desk job at some radio station. <laughs> you're a professional dude i'm blown, you blew me away man dude it's a it's a pleasure it's a huge pleasure to have you back on the show by far one of my favorite creators uh doing it right now why don't you start us off by giving the aov community for those that don't know a little bit of background on yourself Pi? yeah thanks for having me man it's uh, it's an honor a little bit of background uh i'm a dutch photographer Born and bred in the, the Netherlands. That's where I reside at the moment, although I spend most of my time on the road, obviously. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's it, man. I just made a book. I guess we're going to talk a little bit about the book today. So the book pretty much consumed my last three years of my life full time. I love, I'm loving it, man. I'm just uh, taking pictures for a living, telling stories for a living. Couldn't wish for a better life. I love it. What caused you to pursue a career in photography or I might, should I say storytelling, you know? Hmm. Yeah. In the, in the end, we're all storytellers, I guess. So actually I hate the word storyteller so much, to be honest, you know, it's like, well, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's not something, uh, it's, it's been used. It's people use it too much, you know, there's a story and everything. And same with photographer though. There's a lot of people claiming to be photographers. (laughs) Yeah, I know. 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 What do we identify as in 2020? Well, I guess when you can press a shutter, it makes you a photographer, right? (laughs) You don't need to study. You don't need to study. I never studied photography. So yeah. So how did I end up taking pictures in the first place? You know, being a kid, we go way back in time, you know, back to the nineties. But being a kid, I was drawing all the time. So uh, my friends were mostly playing outside, riding their bikes, and I was just locking myself up and just trying to create a story 
within those four edges of a canvas, I guess. So as at a very young age, I already started visualizing stories, I guess. So that's how it started a long time ago. And over time, somehow, I think that I picked up a camera instead of a pencil. I think that's how it started back in the day. And now I'm just uh, telling the very same stories, but from a different perspective, just by traveling the world and meeting people. Right. We never really traveled much, you know. We, my parents never took us really traveling being kids. So I think drawing was some somehow like a way of fantasizing about those faraway cultures. Mm-hmm. And that always, that always stuck with me like during my whole life. I always dreamed of becoming like a photographer and traveling far and bringing all those stories home. But I think that's how it started. That's so beautiful. So at a young age, you were already... I mean, it's almost like you were destined to do what you're doing now. Maybe. It took a long time to figure that out. You know, it's just I, I completely deviated from that creative path and just followed like the, the rat race of becoming famous and rich and famous in the corporate world, you know. And then some, it took me 15 or maybe 20 years to figure out like I wanted to become that. And, and just not, not only figuring out, but also having the balls to say goodbye to my previous life and just go headfirst into the creative industry, you know, it was, it's not something I, it's something I always dreamed of, but I never had the balls to do it. Right. Well, I'm glad you, you finally did it because the world is better off now that you're blessing us with your art and creativity and storytelling. That's great. I want to ask you, so today's episode, you were, you were on the podcast before, right? Uh, no, man. Wait, so this is, this is okay. It's my, it's my debut. So we were. Oh my goodness. Okay. So <laughs> part of me felt a little awkward because I'm like, I feel like Pi and I have been on the podcast, but maybe it's just something we've we've spoke about and it's never come to fruition. So a welcome to the show for the first time, man. I kind of want to do things. You know what? I'm still gonna keep the format the way that I have it set up for today. Today, I think we're going to focus on talking about your book because I think that's a really special thing. Then I'm going to invite you back on the show to talk about just all your travels and, and the crazy life you've sure, lived in, in general. So let's start with why. Why did you decide to print Tales from the Road Less Traveled and what was the inspiration behind this book? Yeah, that's a big question, dude. It's a long answer, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so no, the thing is, life is digital these days. So like the cliche answer to this question, but also an answer close to my heart is I was just fed up with the whole digital industry. I just wanted to, I always loved, I, I, I just, I love print, prints. I love uh, printed work. I love books. I love paper. I love ink. So it was it was inevitable that at some stage in my in my career I would I would make that move towards printing my own my own work. So I've been selling prints for a while now, but the next the next step was a book, and I don't. It was always like something on the horizon, but never real. You know, mm-hmm. it was always like a dream, but never real. And then in 2017, uh, a few of my friends they run a publishing company back in Amsterdam. And they've been following my work for a while, and I contributed to a few books with like single images about Tokyo, about London, about New York, just like all pretty much street photography shots. And then suddenly, mid 2017, they were reaching out out of the blue, like, we know this is your dream. Let's do it. I was like, no, 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 this is a joke, man. It's like, it's way too early. Never. I'm, 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 I'm not ready. 
And they were like, you better be ready because it's going to happen. And then we took like a year to kind of put a blueprint together of how, uh, of, of the overall, like the overall message the book would, would have to radiate to be different than other book about storytelling or travel or documentary work. And we just wanted to do something different. So we took the time to, to put down, put down like uh, a few strong words on paper and get some visuals together. And then I quickly realized that my work up until that day was not good enough to film a, a film like a 300 page book, coffee table book. So then the next, uh, the next discussion was uh, how many time do you need, you know, and me and Chess were about to embark on a one year trip at that stage, which is early in our late 2017. And then we decided to, uh, to go on a big trip for two years instead of one year and just see if we could produce a whole book in that period of time. And that's, uh, that's how the journey started. And that happened end of 2017. We, we left home and we came back two years later, which happened uh, the end of last summer. And that trip of two years took us around the entire world to find the stories close to our heart and see if we could document them and put them together in a book. That is, that's incredible. So two years. So this, so this project is, this is a two year project. Yeah. So shooting, shooting time in the field is about like two years full time. Now the last two years full time, Mm -hmm. but there's a few uh, stories featured in the book, which are older than that. So they've shot, the oldest, the oldest story in the story in the book dates back to uh, 2012, I guess. But nice. 80% of the book is shot in the last two years. Gotcha. So, yeah. what type of experience are you trying to give viewers with tales from the road less traveled? Yeah. So one of the one of one of my personal main concerns back in the day, and and even, and right now even more. It's when you open your eyes in the morning, there's, first of all, it's like digital. It's a digital age. You know, there's so much images. And when you open your eyes in the morning and you scroll through your, through your news feeds or on your phone or in, your, in, a, in a paper, it's always negativity. You know, it's always, it's always about ne- climate change and species going extinct and the world changing and the refugee crisis. And it's all, and somehow I was figuring out that I became... I felt so, somehow like immune for all the bad news and media, you know, and that's, I think that's a dangerous thing. So what I was lacking in a, in a very personal perspective was hope. I was just lacking stories of hope, you know, and then obviously in, in media and politics, hope is not the first thing people brag and talk about, but I was missing hope in every single sense of the word, you know, and not only when it comes to the natural world, but also to the, to the cultural world and to just daily life, you know, just people put five people in one room and hope is not something that is, it's very obvious these days, you know? So as, as an artist and as a storyteller, here we go, storyteller once again, (laughs) as an artist, I was just trying to think of ways to integrate hope in, in that book, you know? And so we started to find very personal angles, which represent bigger narratives. So when you talk about, climate change who traveled all the way to India to find very personal angles of shepherds that are losing their home grounds. Or we traveled all the way to Papua New Guinea to find tribesmen that are fighting for 
uh, tribal existence and they're pretty much losing their cultural identity. And we travel to gauchos in Argentina to learn what it means to live in coexistence with the land you own and to live in coexistence with the animals that call that same land home as well, you know? So it's like uh, stories close to home, stories far away from home, but all radiating the same kind of overall energy, which is pretty, pretty hopeful, you know, like mm -hmm. to see if we find big topics and just bring them down to very easy to navigate storylines and narratives and from a very personal angle and just see if that could make up a book. And that's, that's how it, uh, how it started. Dude. So do you feel more hopeful now after traveling around the world for the past two years or do you feel more negative about the world or, mm, you know, well, I do feel more, more hopeful because there's so many individual contributions which they don't get the attention that they deserve, you know. So, but on the other hand, when you travel to far, far away places, and especially to uh, to places that places that are like suffering in the front lines of of climate change and refugee crisis and all that sorts of topics, you can't close your eyes for what's happening. You know, it's mm -hmm. like it's something that every time, again and again, hits me straight and like an arrow into the heart you know it's like uh, i've been to places i was i put to, i've been to places where that made me cry you know just because because of what you see and the stories you hear and the stories that people tell you but on the other hand i think the focus should should be different because the focus these days is too much on the negative side and if you just change the framing there are so much beautiful stories you know stories in media they scream you know but there are so many stories that whisper and they don't get the attention they deserve and if you talk to the right people that live in the right area and that do the right thing day after day those are stories that like they whisper and they just need attention so my job from the first day of making this book is to give a platform to these people you know to see if we can just get their stories out to the world like because we're losing at a very higher at a very high pace we're losing all those beautiful cultural traditions and all those beautiful people that are that been living for like thousands and thousands of years the same way, you know, and we're just losing them at a higher rate than ever before. And if my contribution is to produce a book and see if we can get their stories out into the world, that's like I can go to bed and at night, you know, feeling at peace, man. It's like that's that's <laughs> what it's all about, right? That's <laughs> Yeah, I mean I mean it's Someone has to do it, right? And I, I think it's it's really beautiful that you're so passionate about the space. Why is it so important for you to focus on telling the stories of the various people that you've met while traveling? Yeah, so traveling for me is always very much about has has always been very much about people. Mm -hmm. Also about landscape and natural world and animals and wildlife and all that sort sort of things. But people in the first place, you know, I I love connection. I love humor i love just having fun together even though you don't even speak the same language you know and connecting in the first place has always been my main driver of going out and and seeing the world and just connecting to people and so as a photographer i think that's not very different because oftentimes it's not the, it's just a camera that stays inside of the back you know because i just i love i love i love to see whether connections are really first you know so in the first place it's always been about connecting with people and it's it's a beautiful thing to capture i guess uh that, that human emotion and in the end i also think and that's something i really learned over the last few years it's 
whether you live in a tree house somewhere in a jungle or in a hut in a desert or wherever we're all this in i think in the end everybody's the same you know it's like we all have the same dreams and the same fears and somehow i think also the same desire to be happy or and that's something beautiful i think to realize that, that the fact that maybe you don't speak the same language you have completely different backgrounds skin color ethnicities it's like in first the first impression is you're super different but when you spend some time with people and you ask the right questions and you really like you you show some genuine interest in each other then you the first thing i always realize is holy shit <laughs> this dude is living in a treehouse he's got the same dreams you know he's got the same fears and that's i think that's a beautiful thing of living in these digital times where people are growing towards each other like mm-hmm. as one big human race you know but it's also dangerous at the same same time because it means that uh, the human race becomes some sort of a gray mass you know what i mean right. like some sort of uh, we're all becoming the same you know we all have the same the same aspirations in life and the same perception of happiness i guess and some and that's scary if you so if you travel to these places you see that all these people they they somehow look at the western world like like what the american dream was in the 80s you know it somehow becomes like like a western dream these days for all these poor refugees and you can't blame them you know because it's like we- there's much happening you know it's deep conversations already in the first 15 minutes man <laughs> that's- but yeah that's uh, that but that's how i look at uh, being human uh, in relation to producing stories stories that matter in some way you know yeah that's so interesting. I mean, I feel like diversity is so healthy for so many reasons. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I never really thought about that, about the world just becoming like this one gray mass where everyone has the same goals and aspirations. And I've never really thought about that. But it, now that you said that, it's kind of trippy to think about. It's like, oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it is. It is. Yeah, and I think people should be should be proud to be different. But it's, it's something that in some cultures is still very, very much existing. But in others, this pride of and so, for instance, when you travel to very remote areas, you you always feel that at least that's how I feel about it. You always figure that in these remote areas, people have a very strong connection connection not only with the human spirit, but also with the natural world. You know, they nurture a very intimate beautiful relationship with the natural world they live from a forest uh aboriginal people they know exactly how to predict the weather by just you know it's all these beautiful cultures they have super super special skill sets which are not really common in the western uh world called the future you know to to be used anymore so you see you literally see we were we were living for six weeks in a forest in uh, west papua a province of indonesia bordering Papua New Guinea. And for six weeks, we were living with a tribe called the Korowai people, and they are living in full coexistence with the forest. So that for in, in their perception, there is no world outside of the forest. The forest is their world, and that's it. You know, there's no electricity, no running water. There's no shops. There's no monetary system. So there's no money even. There's nothing. It's just them in the forest. And their skills and their knowledge about the forest is so deep. You know, it's so beautiful. And it's so, it's something which is so fragile and disappearing so fast but can help us in so many ways in the in the few in the far future but also in the near future i'm sure so that's scary to see that all these thousands and thousands of years of history and craftsmanship are to to most people maybe feeling useless you know but to them and when you dig deeper 
you find it's like representing all struggles which society these days is struggling with. And all the answers are pretty much found in that very small patch of forest. You know, you know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. just an analogy. But it's just it's a beautiful example of how East versus West is some sort of a crazy paradox these days where people in all these beautiful vanishing cultures are all looking towards the West like some sort of a dream to realize, like a status to reach. While the purest forms form of happiness they have in their own hands, you know, right. they're just their relationship with the natural world and with the human spirit is something that many many people in the West are struggling to find. You know, mm-hmm. how many people are meditating these days? Like consciousness, con- like consciousness therapy, meditation, yoga, like it's all happening. You know, the the whole Western world is slowly waking up and realizing that all these beautiful people in the East are not crazy. <laughs> you know. They're not crazy. <laughs> Isn't that crazy though? So it's, I mean, it sounds like a cycle flip, right? To where it sounds yeah, like the people in the paradox. east, the people in the east are, I mean, which is sad because they think what we have is what they should want. When and vice versa, we actually want what they have, which is peace of mind, health, family, it's all crazy. those important things. Do you think people, you know, in the east are able to take a little more responsibility for their life than people in the western culture? I mean. We have so many things mm. done for us, like robots, you know, take care of half of our task. You know, we have vacuums yeah. that are robotic. We don't even vacuum our own yeah. homes anymore. We don't, we try not to do anything, you yeah. know? And it's like, at what point do we just become vegetables to where it's like, what, are, like, what is life about if robots do everything for you? <laughs> like, what do you do? Mm. Well, you know, the thing is, as I said, you can't really blame these people, you know? It's like, we're cultivating so many, many, much of these traditions and much of these cultures are being cultivated by the Western world as tourist destinations. Mm-hmm. So then at some stage, these people living in all these remote places around the world, like these dis- disappearing remote, remote places, whether it's Patagonia or the Amazon or Papua New Guinea or Siberia, most of these areas, people starting to figure out that making money with tourism is way, way easier and way faster and way more convenient than all their traditional forms of life. So, by cultivating tourism and by commercializing these kind of destinations, we contribute to the fact that we lose them, you know. Mm. But on the other hand, tourism can also become or like the digitalizing and like the future can also offer many solutions in many different beautiful ways. You know, a beautiful example is we travel to Uganda and Africa. And there you see that when it comes to conserving the natural or the cultural world you can involve all these local communities but just let me give you an example of the you know the gorillas right the Mm -hmm. mountain gorillas so they live in a national park on the border of there's only like a thousand of them left and they live they live in a few national parks on the border of rwanda congo and uganda and in the ugandan part called buwindi Buwindi, uh, national national park the local policy is that a a few percent of the revenue being generated by commercializing the gorilla as a tourist asset goes towards the local community surrounding the national park. And over time, these communities slowly started to figure out that by protecting these primates, they could make more money than by killing them to sell the body parts to the Asian market. So then you see that it can also work in a beautiful way. You know, it's not like commercializing these faraway destinations will destroy them straight away. But what saved the gorilla, at least in uh, in, uh, in Uganda, is is this whole new way of thinking by just making the local people part of the solution, you know, by right. just 
explaining them that by protecting this animal and by offering them like a part a part of this whole revenue revenue sharing structure, uh, they slowly started to figure out that killing him was was useless, you know. And that's a beautiful example how you can save cultures and how you can save nature. But yeah, it's. Uh, it's uh, in many parts of the world, uh, these especially in the book is my book is mostly about cultural part of vanishing of, of the vanishing world. Right. It's not not necessarily about the natural part. Right. But, yeah, it's uh, it's a struggle and it's uh, answers are not 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 easy to find, but they're definitely around. So that kind of leads me to my next question. Through your extensive traveling are there any universal discoveries that you've made about mankind while observing and experiencing the different cultures? Mm. Yeah, one thing that comes to mind straight from the bat is that people should never be uh, judged by the actions of their governments. You know, wherever you go, people in essence, people are good. That's something I really figured by by traveling uh, to remote, faraway destinations. In essence, people are good are good-hearted you know mm-hmm. but what makes people often go or complete countries often go ballistic is like resources or government decisions or stuff like this so in that's something that comes to mind straight away like people we're all good people you know but some people make bad decisions but and that's that's beautiful beautiful to realize and something else which is beautiful to realize is to often often the further you travel and the deeper the further away from like the from modern society you you find that people at at some stage they stop to brag about their jobs but instead they start to brag about how beautiful how much i love their children how beautiful they think their grandchildren are so the balance is at some some stage shifting you know like the further you move away from the modern world the more you move towards uh, what life is really about often oftentimes you know yeah. and the world is urbani- urbanizing, I guess. I think more than 50% of the world population is living in cities these days. So that means we're slowly moving away from all those core values. And like money and status and fame becomes more important than things that should, that keep us alive, you know? Yeah. So that's also something you figure uh, when you travel. And as I said, like a few minutes ago, it's beautiful to witness that we all are pretty much the same in essence, you know? everywhere you go so that's a few things that universal travel uh, college <laughs> you, so <laughs> offers early, you earlier you had said that you know when you're out traveling in these different places around the world you realize that we all want the same things curious would you mind sharing what those things are what people usually want you mean mm-hmm. well well if you ask me i think Life these days is too much about, it's a cycle, you know, it's a cycle of eternal growth. It's like a rat race. And there's in many places in the world which are suffering, like many Western places in the world, people are suffering big time from being stuck in this rat race, in this daily rat race. There's never room for stepping back, you know. There, it's so, you always have to be better than last year. Tomorrow you have to be better than today, right? right. Your profit has to be higher uh, there, so, you, you know, you know what I mean, like, and that whole that whole that whole system of nonstop growth, that's very much affecting decisions being made on all different levels. And I think being able to slow down is something really beautiful these days. You know, being able to stand still and just to question things, 
And just to question whether it's good for the planet or good for your personal health or good for your relationships to be able to to constantly growing, you know, always, like always pushing for growth. And I think that's something that makes people sick, you know, the fact that you always have to be better than yesterday. I love that, man. I uh, You made me pause and just take a nice deep breath. Yeah, I think we need that more. Oh, most definitely. And I think it's, it's like, I don't think anything's wrong with growth. I think it's the hyper, it's the, it's the, it's so much growth. There's sustainable growth, right? Doing things in a sustainable way. And then there's things that are not sustainable. What do you think from your perspective of being around the world, what do you think we can do as a Western culture to, to kind of balance out, to kind of move away from uh, this rat race that we're all living in. How do we how do we gain some of our sanity back? Hmm. Well, I think you know when you embrace the as a as a society when you embrace the fact that life is about highs and about lows, and not only about highs. That's already one thing. And just it's it's just like the natural world. The natural world comes in four seasons, right? It comes in winter, summer, fall, and spring. And it's not always sunny and warm, you know, it's, and that's, that comes with life in general as well. You know, people always, people always crave the highs. You know, they want to go half high after high after high. And as soon as we go into a lower time of the year, people start panicking, you know, it's like, because you always have to keep moving. And I think when you embrace that seasonality of life in general, that comes with a beautiful reward. Right. And that reward, I think, is called peace, you know, peace, internal peace, but also just peace in every sense of the word, you know. Mm-hmm. And I do. I wish more people push that message of peace. Instead, we're always being fed, "Be happy, be happy, be," you know. And it's like, what does what does even what does that even mean? And and happiness is not sustainable. It's like that fake. And so you have a lot of people that spend a lot of time faking their emotions, right? Everyone's always happy. Everything's always perfect. Everything's great. Yeah. Everything's yeah. awesome, yeah. even though they're dying inside. Like literally, just decomposing from the inside out it's tragic it's tragic but i think the one thing that can change complete complete not only feelings but complete society is vulnerability man you just if there's if there's one thing i found over the last period of time by switching careers and by going head first into into all these beautiful cultures is i think the key to becoming more in peace is to become vulnerable Mm-hmm. By just showing, just allowing yourself to show your emotions, and just to be, to be, maybe to become a bit more of a feminine person instead of a masculine person, you know, because all this masculinity is just making people crazy. It's toxic, right? It's toxic. It is. It is. And just by showing, just by opening up, and if you don't know the answer to a question, please just say, "I don't know the answer to the question," instead of always trying to find the answer, you know. Right. It's it's and funny. fighting for. I used to be that guy, you know, where you always knew everything. Even if you didn't, you just agree. Like, oh, yeah, 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 of course. Uh, Because, like, you know, from society standards, like, you want to, you want to look like you know everything. You want to seem confident. You want to appear, you know, appear in control. Uh, Since then, I've, I've let that go. And I'm that guy that'll stop someone mid sentence and be like, what does that word mean that you just used? Exactly. (laughs) That's good, man. Good on you. Yeah. And that's great. That's a, that's a great thing to do. That's a great example. You have to. I mean, I don't. It feels good. You're just learning, and it's it's humbling. And 
and and beyond, beyond being vulnerable, I think it's important for us to be empathetic, right? It's it's easy to judge. It's easy for me to judge you. It's easy for you to judge me. But the reality is, I have no idea what it's like to walk in Pi's shoes. Like I, I don't like I don't know yeah. if I had to go be you for thirty days. Like holy cow! Like I would have no idea what your life is like, what you really are experiencing, what you really go through, and vice versa. And so having that empathy and not judging people and and looking at people and just understanding, like, you have no idea what it's like to be them. So you can't judge them. It's not as simple as, oh, they're a piece of crap because they don't, you know, they don't, they have a a, a crappy job. And so you're just going to judge them as this type of person. You have no idea what their life experience is like. That's Um, it, man. It's all about compassion, dude. It's all about, it's, I know it's like, it's a, it's hard to define the real meaning of compassion, but it's such a powerful thing, man, just to be compassionate about the world around you, about the people around you. Because in the end of the day, you know, if you if if all the people struggling would have signs above their heads that they're struggling, you know, there would be signs everywhere, dude. <laughs> yeah, and we everywhere. could help. We could help. Yeah. You, know, you know how many people I'd be hugging a day if, if I just could if I just knew? You know what I mean? Yeah. Random people yeah. I would love to walk up to and just be like, hey, what's up, man? Can I buy you a beer? Can I give you a hug? Can, yeah. <laughs> you want to go for a walk? <laughs> like, <laughs> Dude, that's too vulnerable, man. That's too vulnerable. You're too vulnerable. <laughs> no, but you're right. You're right. That's it. That's it. So your work portrays people in an up-close and personal way. Uh, have you ever found yourself in a dangerous or compromising situation while shooting uh, an assignment? Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, not as in life-threatening, though, but uh, there's many places in the world where people just don't like cameras. And experience pr- pretty much tells you after a while where to be more cautious and where not. But definitely in the Latin in Latin America, people are not that much fond of cameras as in India. You know, So geographically, there are parts of the world where people feel like their soul is being taken away as soon as you click the shutter which is, it comes with, uh, just when, when you take the usual precautions and you, when you travel, you know, like usual precautions in terms of cultural awareness, you can already minimize risk. But uh, we also spend time in war zones. You know, we spend time with, with poachers in Africa. And every time you just need to prepare yourself for, well, not necessarily for the worst, but you just come prepared and just know what people you're dealing with, know what people you're talking to, know what the risks are and, uh, I'm trying to find yeah. the images of the poachers in the book because those are striking. What was that experience like, you know, spending time with the bad guys? Or are they the bad guys, right? Mm. I mean, I, you tell me. Well, I know. So, yeah, yeah, I tell you the story. I tell you the story. So, ever since picking up a camera, I saw, I once, I once got a book from a friend about Uganda, like an old black and white film book from the 70s and from the first minute i picked up that book i knew i wanted to go there and make like a story that uh, it's like a story that matters you know like a story about the real ugandan person that is bringing change to the world you know that shows the power of change and the power of positivity and so it took me two years to uh, to find that person just by sitting behind my desk back home and just googling inspiring Ugandan person mm-hmm. you know that's where you start you know so and then in uh, in in a, in a bit under two years uh, and after talking to lots and lots of people based in Uganda about this topic I 
came across a man called Albert. And uh, the first half of his life, he was uh, he was a poacher. Like he worked as a commercial poacher in Murchison Falls National Park on the border of Congo and Uganda. And he had 15 kids, uh, nine of his own and five of his brother. And his brother, he died being trampled by an elephant. So he was taking care. It's like just a complex African family situation where uh, two parents are taking care of 15 kids to feed, you know. So it's a poor, it's a, like a post-war zone. Uh, war and conflict has been dominated that place for like decades. So it's just poverty, you know. See, these people, they have to kill animals to feed their their family. So that's uh, that's a, quite a complex, but a very typical African narrative. And uh, at his 26th birthday, more or less, around that time, this dude called Albert, he started to make up his mind. And he figured that like a life full of violence could potentially lock him up forever, you know, and destroy his entire family. So brave as he was, he requested a meeting with the local park warden and he just handed himself in with the message, uh, I fucked up my life in the first uh, half. Now I got another 25 years to go and I want to make up for this. You know, it's like, I need to, I feel that I have to change my life. It's like a, it's like a call, you know, it's like, uh, um, and that's a beautiful thing to do because at the very same moment, his entire family of meanwhile, like 20, 25 people, they had to be relocated mm -hmm. to the other side of the national park because there were an immediate danger of being killed by the syndicates because he was working for a poaching syndicate. So just picture yourself going through that transition, like being able to be so courageous and so brave and so and one day you, you you wake up and you're like, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to stop being a poacher. I'm going to walk to the other side of the line. I'm going to become a good person. I'm going to make up for this. And I found this story after talking to lots and lots of people. And I um, we may start to make plans. And every time when you hear a story like this and you travel to a place to document it, it's always the question whether it's still existing, whether yeah, whether it's real, you know, what people tell you. And then we found this beautiful, humble warm, kind-spirited man called Albert, uh, 52 years old, fifth, almost 25 years as a ranger in the field. So this happened in 1996. This, this transition happened in 1996. And we found him now 50, uh, 25 years after making that decision. And he became now single-handedly responsible for the biggest catch of poachers in the history of Uganda. He caught 250 wow. poachers in 25 years, which is like a crazy. So he made <laughs> up for his bad years, you know. But he, but he had a story to tell, you know. He had a story to tell because he's been spending his whole life in the bush surrounded by wild animals. But also his whole life, the last 25 years he spent in the bush surrounded by armed poachers that want to kill him. You know, so, and we went out with him and his battalion in the field for two weeks and we, we captured and documented the work these guys are doing. Like the, the, the fighting, like the daily fight, the daily struggle to put their life at the wage, you know, just to protect these poor animals being killed everywhere around the country. So, yeah, that's a story where if you don't take the usual precautions, if you don't prepare yourself before you actually embark on a trip like this, it's quite likely to get killed, you know. It's like we were walking in bullet row fast in this whole battalion, like there's venomous snakes and spiders everywhere, wild lions, elephants, armed poachers. It's like 45 degrees celsius you're hiking 12 hours a day so it's a it's a it's an adventure but uh, for me like the best way to tell a story and the most genuine way to tell a story is by living it you know <laughs> just by being there and by feeling uh, feeling the danger and feeling the the excitement 
And that was a beaut. That should, if people ask me, like, what's like, tell me a story about your books. It's just like in a nutshell, in a nutshell. But man, just like when you sit at the fire at night, surrounded by the sound of grazing hippos and roaring lions, you know, in the background. And uh, Albert is just sitting there like a big rifle between his legs. And he just tells these kind of stories. You know, it's like, it's, it's, uh, it, that's that's what you live for in the end of the day, you know. So and I prom- and when I left Uganda, I promised myself one thing: I'm going to bring this story and this man and his his uh, way of looking at life. I'm going to bring this to the world and just share it with as much as people as that's I can. That's beautiful, and that's like a beautiful story of redemption too. I feel like we live in this world where people judge you it's- so hard even if you change it's like they don't even want you to change like you can't change like you were a bad person last year you can't be a good person now and it's like and that's a problem i see that all the time where people they want to judge people for things they did five years ago or how they were in college or whatever it may be and it's so sad it's like why like how can you have so much anger that you just want to to keep people in this box uh you know historically for what you know them as rather than like everyone can reinvent themselves anytime they choose, you know, at any moment in your life, you can take control and decide to become a better person or to, you know, to choose an alternate path Very much. forward in life. Very much. And it all comes with vulnerability mm-hmm. once again, you know, if this, it's a super vulnerable, this vulnerable decision of Albert to just step forward and just make that decision, you know, and it's never too late for change. Never. I mean, this dude was like on the verge of being locked up, like potentially being locked up forever. You know, he was living, living on the verge of like losing his life. And he was like, stop this. You know, I'm going to stop this. It has to change, you know, and you need, you you need to have balls to be able to hike uh, with wild lions, but you need to have even more balls, like balls of steel to be able to step forward and make this decision. Definitely. So, yeah. <laughs> Props for Albert. <laughs> uh, what's your what's your process look like when you're on the road? Like, are you are you just photographing? Are you journaling at the same time and taking notes? Like, how do you how do you capture these stories real time? What's your process look like in the field? Yeah, so I'm lucky enough to uh, uh, to have a wife with a beautiful skill of being able to write stories. So we, for the book, uh, Jess and I, we traveled together, uh, and she did all the textual part and I did the visual part. So usually like how I usually, how I usually travel, it's, uh, it's most of the cases alone, uh, or with a journalist, but for this book, we made a decision to travel together and, uh, work as a team. So that's beautiful, but usually, so let's not uh, take that into consideration too much. Let's just see if we can talk a little bit about that default of traveling alone. But that comes with a price, you know, because it's, you're busy, man. It's like, you, it's a 24 seven job in the field, like assignments in the field. It's like, it never stops. You know, if you travel alone and you got to be, you have to deliver a full story and visual and in copy, that's what, that's the thing, man. It's like, you're making notes at the same time you're thinking about the story you're interviewing people you're doing your post-production in the in the night uh, while you have to pre-plan for the next day and you have to send in text to a copywriter back home and it's like it's a struggle but uh that's the reason why usually when i travel i try to aim for focus you know just one story one narrative try to see uh, how much I can do beforehand by reading just an example. Like we we did a story on a gaucho community in uh, uh, Chile and Patagonia. And just to, to be able to 
produce that story in a short window of time. I just read a few books about gaucho culture. So I was, I practiced my Spanish. Uh, I polished my Spanish skills just to be able to have quick conversations. Just like we read a few books on gaucho traditions to be able to understand what these people are going through. So you can just like prepare before boarding, before boarding a plane, you know, you're just, there's so much you can do, which uh, makes life easier on the ground by just preparing simple, simple things. But on, on the other hand, I, sometimes I also go in assignments where uh, I didn't really have the time to prepare and you just go with the flow as soon as you arrive. And that also brings beautiful stories. But when you talk about these deep narratives about the story we just talked about in Uganda or about mm-hmm. uh, the Gaucho community, it just requires you to prepare. No one will, you know, if you want to tell a story that hasn't really been told before, you need to invest time and energy and oftentimes money as well, you know, just to be able to get some cutting edge advantage in uh, understanding what people, what right. people's so lives are about. definitely a, a pre-production aspect, you know, a lot of planning. Oh, man. <laughs> so much, so much. Oftentimes you're talking about stu- shooting a story in just like two weeks. And preparing a narratives can take a year just to do the mm-hmm. ratio, you know, to get the ratio right. Not, not always, you know, not always. It's Sometimes it's like a few weeks, a few weeks, or sometimes it's even like two weeks of preparation, two months of shooting. It all depends. But in, in the majority of my stories, they have a ratio of like months of preparation and days wow. of shooting. <clears throat> that's, that's incredible. But, I yeah. mean, it takes a lot of planning to be able to, to conquer a feat like you did with this book. Uh, I want to kind of switch gears for a quick minute and talk to you about how has the way that you use social media over time changed? Oh, we've had, you That's and I have had lots, especially back in the day, we had lots of talks about, you know, Instagram we've been through a lot. and social media. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, social, these days people uh, look at social media maybe too much in binary terms. So you either use it or you don't use it. Right. But there is such a big world in between using it and not using it. And I think it all comes down to how you to how you use it. And it's a it's well, you 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 can you can tell a bit about that as well, I guess. But it's make it's making people sick, man. It's like it's a dangerous. It's like a beast, a beast that needs feeding all the time. You know, if you don't feed the beast, the beast is not growing. And that's dangerous for people. And I've been through it for the last seven years myself and i i've been through several stages and at some stage i was completely deviating from uh, the creative identity i'm like for my i was deviating from my creative values and i was pushed away from my creative identity by just following the trends and following the likes and that happened like overnight you know and like suddenly when instagram became a thing i was just going with the flow and just see how famous you could become you know and suddenly i was like oh no 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 no! this is going completely in the wrong direction and right at that time when i was realizing that i created because people matter and i just started to rediscover those values of being an artist and being a creative uh, person in the creative industry and that brought my personal and my creative identity right back to the to the same level you know and that's when i started to realize the the danger of enrolling in this whole instagram trend which oh, yeah. it's a trend right i mean Come on. it's it's kind of like i just had this epiphany it's kind of like the news like if you wake up and the first thing you do is 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 read the news 
your emo- like your first of all your vibration drops and you're instantly like in this weird sad maybe even upset emotional state because yeah. You know, because of this virus is going on and there's a shooting here and there's a missing girl here and climate ch- and this and you get hit with all these things. But the reality is without the news, you just wake up and you realize I'm alive. I live in this city. It's sunny outside. Everything's actually mm. just fine. The world isn't burning like my like my home is not burning i don't need to be waking up in this crazy craze of the world's ending because the world's not ending the news just appears to uh to make it to appear that it's ending same thing with social media you wake up and you look at social media the reality is you go outside and you're perfectly fine the car you drive is okay the way you look's okay people treat you with respect but you get on social media and you're viewing all these these people and you and, and it makes you it opens up it expands your worldview so much that you're no longer it's no longer being okay and being average in your local city you need to wear certain clothes because of what you see on Instagram you need to drive a certain car because you see other people driving that car you need to shoot or visit certain places because everyone else is doing that it's 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 literally the same same thing as the news it it puts you in this this zone of so many inputs that it makes you feel so inferior when without the news and without social media everything's actually just fine (laughs) yeah yeah you're right that's it man that's it it's it's really like this it's and the scary part is that it makes you believe that you can create every little bit of your life and just be successful in creating every bit of your life. You know, it's just, it's fake. It's, it's a fake perception of the real world, the real world, but it also has a beautiful side. You know, it's like I made lifelong, I made lifelong friendships on that platform. Like the reason we're talking now is because of that. Right. The reason I'm having the reason, the reason I'm having a book is because of Instagram, because I always, from the first day, I always uh, believed in the power of community and you, you're the living Mm -hmm. example of that as well. You know, Community is such a beautiful thing, and it comes at such a beautiful price when you look at social media. You know, it's it's the, the possibilities are endless. So it's a very much of a it's it's very much two sides to the story. There always is. There's always the yeah. yin and the yang, right? In every in everything, yeah. man. And I think it, it all comes down to our own mental mindset, being able to think scientifically, like you were talking about earlier, looking at the ideal side versus the negative. It's easy to focus on the negative, but it takes a little more focus to see past the negative and look at the ideal side of the situation yeah. and scenario. Why do you think it's important as a creator to focus on uh, activities and products that are offline? Yeah, the world is too fast already, man. It's like swiping, liking, swipe. You know, it's too, there's too much swiping. It's like the attention span of a kid. Like, is it's crazy. It's crazy, man. It's like it's going down. Like it's going down to the seconds. If you don't hit somebody's heart in three seconds, you you're out. You know, and that's a scary. It well, it, I love technology, and I think it's it's the developments surrounding these kind of behavior studies are very interesting. But to be able to slow down by forcing people to slow down and sit down and have a book, maybe have a coffee, a tea, whatever, and just uh, just absorb like an image or absorb a story, like read a story. You know, that's I think that's not only a beautiful craft, but it's only something that is needed mm-hmm. these days in the world. You know, it's slowing down. Slowing is down for me, it's like slowing down is also kind of like 
a feeling of flow state. The other day I was working on last Saturday, I was working and I got lost. I was just working on this creative brief and I was having so much fun. I got lost. I got, I didn't look at the clock one time. I had no idea what time it was. I had no idea what was happening anywhere around me. I didn't know what my girlfriend was doing. I didn't know what was going on anywhere. I was just in the thing and, 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 and it felt so slow. And by the time I finally looked up, I was like, holy moly, it's four o'clock. What a great day. Like I felt so at peace and so calm while working because I was, I was, I was in That's flow. And, and anytime we can find that flow state and, or, or come up with the process to get into that flow state, it makes everything better. But I agree. We live in a swipe, low attention span society to where we all live with so much anxiety because we can't just focus on one thing. We're thinking, we're always thinking. There's always so much going on all at one time. And I think it makes our work lower quality. It makes our fulfillment you know, a lot less lower quality. Uh, yeah. It's a disease. And a lot, I think it's hard for a lot of us to say yeah, it. Like it we're all sick. Like yeah. I am mentally sick to some, to some capacity. We all are. And, and most people don't, you know, don't want to yeah. say that. Cause that goes back to that facade of we're all perfect and life's perfect and we're all great. <laughs> exactly. 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 And on the other hand, I just read like a, a funny, a funny one-liner somewhere in, the, mm. in 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 media about this generation is like probably the worst documented generation in history. While at the very same time, <laughs> it's the most digital-oriented generation. You know, it's like everything is online. It's like it's twenty-four uh, hours. It's gone. You know, it's like. And when you look at like books or well, maybe I'm just too much too much of a book lover. I've been collecting books for like two decades now, and every time I'm just trying to force myself, if, even if it's only ten minutes a day, to just grab a photo book and sit down and just even if it, if you only look at one image, you know, just think about what you look, think about what you're looking at, right? Just try to see if some questions are coming up, and just close the book, put it away and just pick up your fast yeah. online life again, you know? And it's such a beautiful thing. Just, uh, Dude, well, I can highly recommend I'm the it. same way. I, I don't know if you can see, I got a ton of books. You can see at least a section right here. I have a ton of books. It's, it's for that yeah, reason, yeah, yeah. slowing down and getting off, you know, not and being able to focus and just, it's so peaceful to just read and immerse yourself into something. It's don't get me wrong. I love hopping on YouTube and learning about X, Y, Z, but at the same time, sure, I bought a book on sure, writing sure. because I can focus on YouTube. It's difficult. I might be five minutes, 10 minutes into something on, on light and then an ad pops up and, or this ding or a message or a notification or whatever. It's just too much inputs to where taking it offline and just yeah. reading a book is so much more fulfilling and so much easier to dive into. Uh, and it's good for the soul. Like it feeds, at least for me, it feels so it is. good it is. to just it read. Is. And I've made that a daily practice now, you know, did two books this month and ideally trying to do two books every month this year. And the smell of a book is great too, man. The smell of a book yes, is indeed. better than the smell I, dude, of a phone. It's weird as that sounds like, you know, there's, I like the smell of new books, but I also really like the smell of old books, especially the old books that have like really nice. I have a book oh, from man, like 1912 yeah. that has like the softest paper, like the quality of the paper is just beautiful and it smells so good. And oh, I, I, I treasure that book. It's great. <laughs> old like there's nothing, nothing beats the smell of like an old, old fashioned library. How has a, how's technology changed the way that you work uh, on the positive side? 
Yeah, well, for, first and foremost, in in a way of being able to share your work on a daily basis with the world, I think uh, Instagram Stories is, uh, for instance, uh, a beautiful a beautiful tool of engaging people in the stories you tell. So that's uh, that's already one thing. But I do shoot analog as well, and uh, I barely show the process. It's a very personal process for me to be able to shoot analog and just let film develop and just pick it up months later and just document my own life in a, in a pretty much of an analog way. So what you see is pretty much digital. And especially when you look in terms of wildlife mm-hmm. photography, you still with me? So now, <laughs> so, uh, and especially in terms of wildlife photography where you have to be quick and snappy, you know, I think these cameras these days are mind blowing, man. If you see like, the light sensitivity of these sensors and the way you uh, you can share work straight away, straight from a sensor into the world or into the cloud, that's mind-blowing. So I'm very happy to be able to uh, to undergo all these technical developments in terms of uh, the digital world. What, uh, what are some of the biggest challenges you face when creating Tales from the Road, Less Traveled? Mm. Yes, I, well, in the first place, I think there's not a single story in the world which hasn't been told yet, you know, so it's 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 hard to, uh, and that's like the, that whole competitive attitude of trying to, be, to, tell, to, to tell something new and tell something different uh, can also kill the creative process. So it's always hard to, to make a, a certain decision on, right, I invested time in this story, now I have to be confident and just document it and put it in the world, you know, instead of always doubting about whether it's uh, different than what has been done before, because everything has been done. It all comes down to how you do it, right? It all comes down to what kind of person you are instead of what kind of photographer you are. I think in these days where everybody pretty much can be a photographer, it comes really comes down, uh, and a unique narrative comes down to what kind of human being you are and how you invest in the relationship with your subject. So, in creating this book, I had lots and lots of doubts on whether it was maybe a little bit too commercial. And in the end, I was pushing towards more of a social documentary vibe to the to my work. And like my learning curve is super steep over the last has been super steep over the last two three years. So every time when you look back on the on the work you shot previous year, you start doubting already. So that's something that maybe belongs to this whole generation. And so it's not easy to to make decisions and just drop it, you know, just do it, drop it and move on. There's always be, there's always like doubt, you know, yeah. about everything. So that's one, that's one, one part on, on making this book. Uh, but funding the book hasn't been easy as well. You know, these travels are super, super expensive. Uh, we travel to areas where you need 24 seven security, which comes at a price. Uh, we travel to places which are so remote. There's not even forms of transportation going to so it it all comes with high prices and to be able to find like a funding structure and to get parties on board that believe in your story and that's been like a, like a hell of a job as Dude, well you know can we talk about that a little bit yeah What's yeah that sure process can, yeah. even look like like who's who funds something like that you know how do you go about getting funding mm. yeah so the actual funding of printing the book and of distributing the book and of designing the book, that's, that all comes with working with a publisher, mm-hmm. obviously. So 
if you uh, if you pick a, right, a publisher that feels right to you with this, with a good distribution network. So in my case, I work with a company called Tenoyers, which is one of the leading distributors in the photo book market in Europe. And they have a distribution network. They have capital. They have money to invest in printing the book and shipping the book overseas, etc. So that's one part. <laughs> then there is the design part, which I, I work with a company called Mendo. It's a local Amsterdam uh, agency that... Uh, produces and designs book books and they also because they've been it's like a, a relationship that has been built up for 15 years i've been investing in that relationship for almost 15 years getting to know the guys they became friends over time you produce books together uh so it also doesn't it doesn't happen overnight and they because of that they decided to reserve like creative capital into designing the book so that's the, when, when we're talking about actually the, like printing the book, that's, that's, that's one story. But then there's a story of doing all the trips, like of going abroad, of flying abroad, of, with whole teams, of, with interpreters, with bodyguards, right. whatever you need, you know. Yeah, and that also, that's a matter of um, investing in the right people, uh, putting trust and empathy in the right people, uh, finding companies that have the very same values as your personal values, Sometimes in a sustainable way, sometimes not. You know, you can't deny that. You, well, you can't always work with companies in a sustainable way if you want to produce a book in two and a half years, right? So you've got to find commercial com com companies with commercial incentives, with tourism incentives. So it's a bit of a mix of different parties that have to believe in what you stand for. And it all comes down to to keep on repeating your message. You know, just like before making this book, I just put down on, on paper like, uh, a very clear mission, a very clear vision of what we want to reach with the book. And then you start finding partners. And some of them can offer funding. Others can offer uh, on-ground services. Uh, others can offer PR or whatever services. And you just try to stitch it all together. And that's how the, how the whole journey started. And we invested lots and lots of private equity in the book as well. You know, it's like it's such a passion project. That to be able to travel two years uh, to these remote destinations full destinations full time, you have to be able to invest your own money as well, and always with the risk of not knowing whether you're gonna have ever, get any return on your investment. You know, you never know. But uh, as the story unfolds and as the book starts to come together, you then you start to realize this this is a right. thing. You know, it's like it's it's. It's becoming a, a like a beautiful platform, not only a beautiful, beautiful platform, but also like a, some sort of a commercial incentive for more parties to hop on board. So it's like an, it's constantly. I, I love that you invested your own you know equity into the project. You know, I think that's a very strong principle that a lot of creators forget is skin in the game is so important from a business aspect. No one wants to do business with someone that has no skin in the game. If you have nothing to lose and the brand investing the $20,000 has everything to lose, why would they, why would, why, why would they want to partake in that deal? But if you've put $20,000 yeah. of your own money into it and then they're going to match you with another, now they understand like, yeah. hey, He's, they're going to make sure that this thing works out or they're at least going to put their best foot forward because they have their own money to lose and we have something to lose. And that makes – it's a lot easier to want to help someone. It's like it's like going to someone that wants your help to start a company or to or wants your help with photography or whatever, but they haven't done anything. It's kind of hard to want to help that person. But when they've been working hard and they've been doing – you know, they put effort into it, then it's easy to want to donate your time, right, to help that person. 
And so skin in the game is a real thing. 100%. How does it feel to to have the patience to create something that took a few years to create, you know, going back to the like mentality and the click clickbait society and the fast paced, low attention span mm-hmm. society that we live in, you focus and lock down for, you know, two years and some change just to produce one project where most people, when they think of making a book, you know, they probably want to do it in 30 days, 60 days. Mm-hmm. What did you learn through that experience? Yeah, so I think uh, you got to uh, put all your, well, you got to trust trust your gut. You know, you got to follow your intuition. So we had lots of lots of moments during over time, like over the last three years, where you just you feel like you're burning out on creating, you're burning out on uh, finding narratives, you're burning out on desk research, and like be, allowing yourself to work on a, on a long-term project also allows yourself to slow down your, your body and your mind needs it, right? So as soon as you feel you're burning out, uh, you just stop and just sit back and s- just trust that that creativity will pick back up again. Trust that your gut, that your intuition will just follow, will just guide you towards the next step in that journey of producing uh, a final result, whether it's a book or whatever. So I think you're just allowing yourself to to produce something more close to your heart when you allow yourself time to do it, to mm-hmm. do so. Right. And I think as a true, maybe not, maybe, <clears throat> I think as a creative, as an artist, historically speaking, it took a lot of time for artists to develop their projects and, and to bring their creations to life. Uh, they spent a lot more time being thoughtful in what they wanted to create and put a lot more effort. And now it seems like it's about, you know, people are just paintings and everything is just like, boom, boom, one day, one day, two, not, oh, this painting took me three years to do, you know, it took me three days. Mm. <laughs> and so the best, you know, the best creations, you know, come with time and, and focus and energy and, and as you can see, it's paying off for you. I mean, you produced an amazing book, but you couldn't have done that in two weeks. No, 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 never, never. Do never, you have never. any any dreams of, of where travels will take you next? And is there a particular area of the world that you especially would like to explore? Yeah, so one thing I'm uh, working on now is to stories closer mm-hmm. to home. So I've been tra- I've been traveling far for this book and... Uh, I have to agree that traveling far is not the most sustainable way of looking at travel, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so I do feel the responsibility of showing people that you don't need to travel far to be able to tell real stories, right? And I I do want to use my power and platform to tell that story. So to show people that stories are everywhere. So that's one big narrative, which is going to be which is going to be visible in the next years uh, to stay closer to, to, to find stories closer to home. But nonetheless, there are places I still want to go to, you know, so I'm working on a few big projects for 2020 on destinations, which are, which have been on the agenda for a long, long time. One of them is Iran. I really want to show people a different side of Iran. So I do have a few narratives in mind that I've been working on for a long time, uh, finding the right people, 
to involve in the in a big project, and that's definitely that's that's definitely something that's going to happen in 2020. Tibet is is also so that's two places, two faraway places that are very close to my heart uh, for two very different reasons. So Tibet uh, is another project which will be uh, seen towards the end of this year. But other than that, I'm just trying to find new angles and fresh angles when it comes to stories close to home. And I try to make like a, a, a more of a step away from the work you see in the book. So a little bit more deeper into the subjects, deeper into the narrative. So more long-term projects. I'm definitely working on a few bigger long-term, long-term narratives now. And I try to move to make a move in towards maybe a bit more social documentary, doc- documentary work instead of uh, travel. So that's a few directions. Uh, for the next year. I love it. Uh, we're coming to an end here. And so yeah. we normally end the podcast with our guests leaving the AOV community with some words of inspiration. So whenever you're ready, feel free to. Oh man, that's, that's a tough one. <laughs> I, I burned all my one liners already. <laughs> no, you know, I think what very important is to create for yourself. I think that's something if you if you create for yourself and you, if you start to feel at ease with what you represent as an artist, only then, only then you can convince other people to believe in the same values as well. And I think these days it's super super easy to create for whoever accept yourself. You know, just to follow trends by following photographers you're looking up to by following writers you you love reading. You know, but if you just uh, slow down and bring the essence back to creating for yourself. That's going to give you the power and the leverage to get your message out to the world and find like a crowd and people that believe in you. Pi Arts, ladies and gentlemen, be sure to check him out on Instagram. That's at Pi Arts, P-I-E underscore A-E-R-T-S. Be sure to also check out his other account, Because People Matter. It's one of my favorite accounts on Instagram. He posts the most beautiful images with these most heartwarming stories behind each uh, picture. It's at because.people.matter. Be sure to check out his book as well on mendo.nl, M-E-N-D-O.nl. If you just click bestsellers, he'll pop up right there. And so you will see him right in the middle. Pi, do they ship internationally? I know this is like a, a European website. Okay, so. Yeah, they do. No, no, no. So go to Amazon. I'm very much oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of supporting small companies. I love small companies, but yeah. this time we have to promote <laughs> a big company. So, yeah, there is one big company uh, shipping my book anywhere in the US and anywhere in the world, pretty much. Awesome. That's so go to Amazon uh, and just type in. Uh, Tales from the Road Less Traveled, and they'll pop up. Here it is. Boom. I got it, baby. Dude, by the way, I have a copy of this book, guys. Pi sends it to me. It is incredible. I was just telling him when we first hopped on the call that when I first finished going through the book, I legitimately, I've never felt this way. I felt like I had just taken a trip around the world. Like Between the, the beautiful, aesthetically captured images and the, the, the beautiful stories and narratives backing them, you totally are immersed in a different world. And it, it, it totally, especially if you haven't been to these places, 
oh man, it's going to inspire you to want to get up and get out and, and see the world and engage with people and not even just the faraway world, even like Pi's talking about stories close to home. It more or less makes you want to get out and just engage with people and to become more human and just want to go spend time with your fellow humans and get to know other people and cultures. Uh, and so the book was very inspiring. I hope you guys take the time to, to check it out. Pi, appreciate you so much for coming on the show.